0: There is an ascent in the psalm itself which rises to the greatest elevation of restful confidence. I hope that's what we have as we study it tonight. Um, So before we look at it, uh, I'll just pray. That'll be good. Uh, And then we'll chew this over and enjoy it. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are not uh, silent, uh, that you are not some unobtainable being, but you are a personal God who cares about us, who cares about his people. Father, tonight as we look at your word... We pray that we would hear your voice. We pray that we would see Jesus um, and that we would be filled with love and with joy for what you have done for us. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 121. This is God's word. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. If you look at the start of this psalm, I didn't read it out there, I probably should have, but it actually says a song of ascent. Um, now, that's not like uh, a, that's not the NIV or Bible translations throwing that in to be helpful. That is part of the inspired Word of God. Um, and it's important to, to think about what that is. So it's important to think about the background that this psalm was written in, in order to understand it. Because I think when we look at the background, uh, we get a real insight, and it makes a lot more sense. So it's a psalm of a sense. Uh, these psalms were written uh, usually for the people... Uh, for God's people journeying uh, from all over Israel to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple. So at the time of Passover, for example, they would all come to Jerusalem from all corners of Israel. Um, Some of them would be traveling hundreds of miles, often through very dangerous circumstances to get there. Um, It would have been so cool to be there, to be in Jerusalem at this time. Just these big swarms of people coming from all these cities, walking together. They would have been singing this song together on their way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, It would have been sung by hundreds and hundreds of them. So that's the background. Uh, You have God's people from all over Israel, from all over the country, traveling on a journey to Jerusalem where they will meet with God in the temple. Does it ring any bells? It's us. For those of us here that are Christians, we are God's people. We're from all over the world, uh, and that's where we're heading. Revelation talks about us heading to the new Jerusalem as God's people. And this journey that they're on, this journey that we're on, uh, you could say, is the journey of life. It's not an easy one. Uh, I realise that sounds like sounds really cheesy and sort of emergent, like oh, you know, life is a journey. Um, but that's that's what the Psalm's saying in the context of the of the whole Scripture. This is God's people coming together to to the New Jerusalem, where they'll eventually be with God forever. So just like the Israelites sang this song on this journey to Jerusalem, so too then should we meditate upon its truths for our life. Um, you know, it's worth bearing in mind, this was no, uh, they didn't just go like on the train line the night before and book a ticket, and then they got down there. It wasn't like you know, they were just cruising around in their donkeys having a wee banter road trip. This was a really dangerous journey. So that's why the psalm begins like this in verse 1. It says, "'I lift my eyes, up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come from?' This idea of looking to the hills um, probably means looking towards an area of danger. Um, so in their, when they're traveling through, and they're going through a valley, and they've got hills on either side of them, In uh, the hills could have been bandits, could have been thieves, wild animals, uh, all sorts, waiting to rob, steal, and kill many of them traveling. Um, sort of a helpful way, I think, of thinking about this, probably won't be helpful to many of you, is in Star Wars, in the first one, the original one, a good one, uh, when Luke Skywalker, he's too afraid to venture out into the, because up in the hills, there's, that's where the sand people live, and they'll kill him, um, so that was helpful probably to one of you, so you're welcome, um, and that's what the psalmist is saying here, he goes, he says, you know, I look to the hills, I see these dangers round about me, I, I don't know what's going to come out of them, it could be something really dangerous, I look to danger, I look to the place of fear, and he asks the question, who's going to help me when I look there? Where do we look in times of trouble and suffering? When we are face to face with danger, when we are face to face with persecution, where do we look in times of need? Who do we look to to help us? Friends? Family? Some of you are here and you don't know God, uh, if you haven't given your life to Jesus. And what is it you fall back on when times get hard? I explained that I was in uh, Nidri earlier and one of the sad things that happens in that council estate and in a Most council estates, if not all of them in Scotland, is the massive amount of drug and alcohol abuse. It's actually the alcohol abuse which is much worse in these areas. Because when these people go through hardships, what's their fallback? It's the drugs, it's the alcohol. It's often used to numb the pain until it consumes them. But then you see the same with people in other walks of life. I see it with students all the time. And they're confronted with hardships. What do they do? They party, they try and forget about it because they don't want to think about it. They don't want to think about inevitable realities of suffering, of death, and of their own mortality. So troubles come and they use something to numb that pain. It's not just alcohol and drugs, but it can be good things as well. Relationships, family, friends. Whatever it is, if you look to it for help in and of themselves, ultimately they will let you down. See, these, these things are good. You can look to things for help that are good, and you should do. Family can support you. Friends can weep with you. Um, you know, And the Bible says that they should do that. And the Bible actually says, you know, one of the, the main ways in which God cares for his people is through the church, through other people, being with them, providing for them, practically helping them. And these are good things. But if they are there in and of themselves, they're not going to be enough to carry through suffering, to get you through fears. And who can help you? The psalmist knows who can help you. He answers it in verse 2. He says, my help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. It's the Lord, it's Yahweh, it's the God of Israel, it's the God of the universe. It's interesting how he puts that, the maker of heaven and earth. It's the creator, not the created things the psalmist is looking to here for help. The singers of this psalm, they know that the God that they worship, he's not uh, some impersonal force (laughs) like on Star Wars, nor is he some unobtainable being uh, like Allah, for example, but he is the majestic God who formed the mountains, created the oceans, designed the smallest intricacies in the universe. Yet he is a God who cares deeply for his people. A God who will help his people and persevere with them to the end of their journey. The majestic God is the Father God. And look at verse 3 to 8 again. Um, actually, the, the NIV you know, is a good translation, but I, want, I just want to read it from the ESV uh, and just, this is a more literal translation of the actual text. Um, and just listen to the repeating words, what, what the ESV says. It says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the psalmist is hammering home the point. It's the word keep that's being repeated again and again. And he's trying to get it into our heads that it's God who keeps us. Because um, I, I think he's hammering it in because we often don't believe it. Uh, we, we get scared at, at the smallest of things and think, God can't be helping me. God can't be here. Yet he is saying, it's God who keeps his people. We don't keep ourselves safe. It's God who keeps us safe. And God will keep us, and he'll keep us till the end, until we're with him. So you see, and, um, on this long journey, uh, undoubtedly, many of them would have had to stop stopped uh, and had rest and had sleep. It probably would have taken quite a few days for some of them. Um, look at verse 3 and 4. Uh, this, is, this is what the psalmist is saying. He will not let your foot slip. He watches over you and will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So they're having to stop and they're having to rest. But they're reminding themselves of this truth that even when they're sleeping, God is still watching over them. That must have been a comfort uh, if you're lying there, especially if you're surrounded by the hills and you know there's danger there, just to be there and to know that God is watching over and God will protect us. Even in our darkest hours, God will be with us. Even when it seems that we are far from him. God will be with us. And I can say it with boldness because I think that's what the psalm promises and God is not a liar. So wherever we may slumber, uh, whenever we may drift, God will not let us fall. You see, verse three is just brilliant. If our foundations really are in him, then our feet will not slip. Um, you know, We may be swayed. We may have times of difficulty. Uh, we may cry out in agony to God. We may drift from his commands and be filled with guilt and regret, but we cannot lose our footing. With God as our rock, it doesn't matter what the storms of life will throw, our foundation in him will stand strong. And though at times it may feel like we're about to break off completely, those waves will eventually drift away, and the rock of God will be standing strong with our feet firmly planted in him. And he, other Sam writers talk about this as well. So Psalm 73, uh, the guy writing it, Asaph, talks about all the doubts he's having about his faith, and he's like, you know, is, is this really true? Is this real? And he says that his feet almost slipped. But then he acknowledged who God was. And God held him there in that spot. So this doesn't mean that uh, you know, we can sit back and do nothing, because God will do it all. Uh, I don't, if, can you imagine being on this journey, uh, and some guy just sits down in the sand and says, hey, I'm not going anymore. God will carry me through to the end. God will just take me there. This doesn't mean we just uh, you know, sit in our house and watch Jeremy Kyle and pray for the rapture. That would be daft. God does take us there, and he does carry us to the end. But he uses our efforts as well. So we don't just sit back and do nothing, but we persevere ourselves, don't we? (laughs) So Brian was looking at this this morning. Um, We were talking about running the race, what the Christian life is like. It's a life of perseverance. Uh, Sometimes challenging, sometimes difficult. Sometimes it feels like we're running a race through mud. Uh, Other times it feels as if we're running through green pastures. What this does mean, though, what this Psalm is saying, so is when we cross that finish line, we'll look back and we'll see actually it was God that was guiding my footsteps. It was God that was carrying me through and took me to the end. So we talk about perseverance of the saints, which is true, but what this Psalm tells us is that the perseverance of God, a perseverance that is infinitely greater. You may persevere, but at times you will fail, at times you will let yourself down, at times you will let God down. But God never gives up on his people. And some of you here may have become numb to the truths of the gospel. Uh, may just be even going through rituals or, you know, you come to Sunday to your church service and then you go back and just get on with your week. Um, and God is almost small. And no, you wouldn't say it. Some of you may hear, maybe here who have grown tired of God. But know this, that even though you may grow tired of God, he never grows tired of you. He's already given you everything in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ, folks, then know the truth that he loves you more than anyone ever, else, than anyone ever will. Uh, and even your own uh, apathy, even your own sin, which is a direct offense ultimately to him and a spit in his face, even that cannot tear you from that love because it's not more powerful than God's love. See, Paul talks about this in Romans 8 when he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You are not more powerful than God's love, and you cannot separate yourself from it. Be assured that He will keep you. And I guess this sort of begs a the question then, uh, and some of you may be thinking, but I know people who have fallen away from following Jesus. Will God keep them? Well, this psalm says yes. If they really are following God, then He will keep them and persist in keeping them. But bear in mind that there are many who claim to follow Jesus who don't actually care about him. And Jesus talks about this. He talks about it in the parable of the sower. Uh, They're either too concerned with the things of this life uh, to care about God and they end up giving up following God uh, to pursue the things of this life or they find it too hard and suffering comes and they just give up. In both these instances, though, what we see is that they care nothing for God but rather what he can give them. In a sense, they're marrying God for his money. But God's people, those who follow Jesus, cry out to him and call him Father. They desire and yearn for him, not for what he can give them. And that's sort of the question, how do I know I'm a Christian? I, I, I was wrestling with that. How, how do I know I'm a Christian? Am I really a Christian? And then I went to uh, one of the many UCCF conferences that I had to go to, and one um, well, the speaker at it had a sort of almost throwaway comment. He says that when you love someone, you want to love them more. I thought, that's, that's really true. Because I feel I want to love Jesus more, but I just don't. And that's not something that comes from me. That's not a desire of my own. That's something the Holy Spirit gives. That's what God wants, isn't it? The Father delights in the Son. The Holy Spirit delights in the Son. They delight in each other. And if we have that desire, that, young, that longing uh, to love God, to love Christ, that's a sure sign that you're one of God's children. The question then can be that if God really does care about me, if he wants to hold me to the end, if he's going to carry me through, uh, why is it that bad stuff happens to me? Uh, why did this happen to me, God? Why did you let uh, that happen to me? Why, why did so-and-so uh, you know, have to go through this form of suffering? And the psalm is not promising freedom from hardships. Uh, the people singing this know that the journey they're going on is long, it's difficult, um, but what it does promise it's peace and relief when life's inevitable tragedies strike. Look at verse 5 to 7, um, where he says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Imagine walking to Jerusalem in Israel. I've not been. It looks quite hot. Um, and looks like a lot of desert landscapes. you imagine walking through there, a big group of people, and just the sun's beating down on you. It um, can be quite dangerous, the sun. That's why he's saying, you know, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. I, I don't know what the moon does. I mean, you can get sunburn and sunstroke, and you don't, moonburn. I've never heard of that. Um, I, I think it's just talking about the dangers night and day that can come. Um, and you imagine that being there and just that sun beating down upon you uh, and just getting in shade. you know what a sweet and pleasant relief that would be, um, especially if you're from Scotland. And I am struggling just even with this weather, with the humidity. So goodness knows that would be amazing just to be standing in the shade after walking on that long journey. And that's what he's saying that, that God's like. God is a shade in, in the times of trouble. He is that sweet, that pleasant relief. It's not saying you're free from hardships, but it does say that God can give you peace even in those circumstances. It's a radical peace. Paul says it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. If you want to follow God, you'll not be free from hardships of life. In fact, when Jesus talks about it, Jesus tells you to expect it. Um, In fact, not only does he tell you to expect it, but he tells you that if you're following him, you know... You're definitely gonna get it because the world hated him, so they're definitely gonna hate you. Um doesn't beat around the bush, he says it like it is. But but know this that whatever life throws at you, God will protect you through that. That's what the Psalm's saying. God himself, you know, it's not just his angels watching over and protect you, but it's it's Yahweh, it is the Lord. And and he gets personal. In verse seven he says, He will watch over your life. So you personally, the creator of the heavens and the earth, will watch himself will watch over you, will protect you, will be with you, because he loves you dearly. But we know that. I think we know that better than the singers of this psalm do. See, they could sing this psalm because they know God. They know God's character. They know what God is like. But we have seen it, and we're at a much better vantage point than they are. You see, hundreds of years after this was written, Jesus Christ, the man who was God, was dying on a crucifix outside Jerusalem, outside the city where all the people would come together. Rejected completely from the presence of God. He was hanging there because he was taking the punishment for the sin that you and I have committed. Everything that is twisted, everything that is wrong, everything that is distorted in us, he became that, paying the price for it. He took the punishment that I deserve as God's righteous and holy anger was poured out on him. You see, my biggest problem in life is not the sun when I was at a bandit waiting in the hill. But the biggest problem that you and I have is God's holy and righteous anger against our sin. And that is what Jesus did. He took that. He turned around. He took the scorching heat of the sun. He became our shade and protected us from taking it. God's anger was poured out upon him. And this was not the psalm that was on Jesus' lips when he was on the cross. He he did have a psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the words he sang. He quoted, he wasn't protected from evil. The full ferocity of hell was coming upon wave, upon wave, upon his shoulders. God the Father didn't keep Jesus. He didn't keep him, protect him. He abandoned him, utterly from that love that he knew before the foundation of the world. And Jesus willingly took it. He willingly went to the cross knowing that this would happen so that you would never have to be abandoned. So that the words of Psalm 121 can ring true to all of you. So if you're here tonight and you're doubting, you know, does God really love me? Look to the cross. It's the definition of love. Look what was done outside the city so that you could be brought into it. God wants you and he has paid for you with the life of his son. And don't think he will take away something that you didn't deserve in the first place. Look what he did to get you. Don't doubt God's protection. The cross was the most wicked act in all of history where we see God himself was killed by his people, by the, by the people that he created. Yet it was used for the most amazing thing that has ever happened. It lies at the very center of our existence and of the universe. How much more can God use those distressing things in our lives for, for good? Romans 8 again tells us that God works for the good of all those who love him. And though we don't see it now, we know that when we cross the finish line, when we come to the end, when we come to the new Jerusalem, when the journey is complete, we can look back and we can see, oh, that makes sense. That was a perfect plan. Perfect plan for my life. So I want to close now by saying this. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this psalm actually doesn't apply to you, you will be lost, you will be helpless. Eventually you will have to feel the full weight of the scorching sun. Bear God's wrath yourself when you stand before his throne. You have a choice. You can bear the wrath yourself or you can give it to Jesus, who can be your shade, and protect you. I implore you to look to him who will love you and who will carry you through uh, life's trials. And for those of us who do follow Christ, we can be assured, because he's not dead, he's alive. Death has been defeated. He is both just and the justifier. He has provided a way for us to enter into his kingdom. Look at verse 8. There it says, The Lord will watch over your coming uh, and going, both now and forevermore even the most mundane things in life, like taking out the garbage, uh, garbage, I'm not American, taking out the rubbish, uh, um, you know, making dinner, uh, whatever you're doing, watching Jeremy Kyle, God's going to be there, watching over you, protecting you. You're coming and you're going. And the psalmist knows this. The psalmist, the person who wrote this psalm um, knew it wasn't just for the, the journey that they were having from wherever to Jerusalem. He knew this was a psalm that would be applicable forever. Because he says at the end, he knew this would be a sign that would be applicable for us, both now and forevermore. It's not just that one single journey, but every area of life for all eternity. He will carry you through to the end. And I want to close. Uh, the the passage in Revelation that David read was, uh, was a great passage. I didn't know that they were that was going to be read. Um, but it's... Uh, it's really cool. Um, I want to close it by reading that again because if you're here and you are a Christian, this is absolutely guaranteed. This is what Psalm 121 is telling us, that you will be carried to, you will come to that in the end. Um, and I don't know how many of you here watch 24, um, but uh, I had uh, one of my fellow relay workers in Aberdeen used to love, I gave her 24, um, and she didn't realize that... Uh, You know what, disc one was. She thought it started at 12 o'clock, so she ended up like towards the end of the season, started watching it, and got quite confused as to what was happening. But because she knew what was going to happen, it totally shaped how she watched the rest of them. Um, And in a sense, like, what we're seeing here is the end. We've seen the end of the story. We don't know what's going to happen in between. If you go to the end of a book and you read it, it's going to shape how you read the rest of the book. But we've seen the end. And this is like an absolute guarantee. So Paul talks about it's being sealed with the Holy Spirit until this day comes. So I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. It could be hard. It could be short. But I know what's going to happen at the end because this is what God says will happen. Let me just close by reading this. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude and no one could count. From every tribe, from every nation, tribe, people, And language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. It's from Psalm 1, 1. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that uh, your word is true, Lord. Thank you that, um, that you have saved us, uh, that you have rescued us. And not only have you saved us, Lord, but you're the one who sanctifies us and you will carry it through until it is done. Father, we long for the day where you call us home and where you say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we long to be with you where these promises and revelation will come true, where there'll be no tear, no hunger, no suffering, no pain, where we will be declared righteous before your throne and we will dwell with you forever. Father, I pray for people here who do not know this, who do not know you, who have not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray they would be convicted of their sin, that they would repent and that they would have a desire to know you. They would see this love which lies at the very foundation of the universe's existence, and Father, that they would desire it for themselves. I pray that you would open their hearts to see the truths of your good news of the gospel. Um, Father, I just pray that you'd go with us now, uh, that we would remember the truths of this psalm, no matter what we're doing, uh, when we're getting anxious, when we're feeling uh, tired, when we're feeling far from you, that we remember that you are a God who watches over us, is intimately involved with us and cares deeply for us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.